It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, I'm Mark Schwarzer and welcome to the Optisport Football Podcast. This weekend, myself and Phil Kittrow Melides have been to El Clasico and the Manchester Derby in 24 hours. So after the game at Old Trafford, we decided to sit down together and dissect our big weekend. Phil, what a weekend. I mean, did it live up to expectation? Firstly, I think, yeah, what a weekend, Mark. I mean, this is something pretty unique that we've done. We've been to two incredible, historic, special fixtures in 24 hours. Yeah, it was a little bit tiring. But, you know, world's smallest violin and that. I think everybody listening would absolutely love to do what we've done. And I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, expectations is a difficult thing always in life. You know, sometimes you have expectations of, of what things are going to be like and they don't necessarily live up to it. I think the expectations I had for this weekend have lived up to it because we've seen two really different fixtures and had two really different footballing experiences, uh, I think, which has made for a really interesting 24 hours when you're looking at it from a footballing perspective, but also from, you know, maybe a cultural perspective as well, which is kind of what we were going for as well. We were here to watch football, but we wanted to soak up the atmosphere, the essence, try and get the vibe of these two different fixtures. And I think we've managed to do that and come away with a better understanding of what these, what these games are about, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. Cultural experiences, you said there, that just straight away I thought to myself, Patadas bravas or <laughs> sausage and chips? But for me, it was fish and chips. Well, yeah. I mean, well, which one wins? Yeah, I mean, listen, um, they were really good chips, by the way, from the fish and chip shop. Yes. I mean, they were spectacular. Yeah. Um, thank you, Lou Macari. Thank you, Lou Macari, because he's got a tremendous fish and chip shop and they make fantastic chips. But yeah, I mean, that just gives you an idea that, you know, we're, we're in two very different places, right? Having two very different experiences. And, and I think I would... Possibly, I live in Spain, right? So I'm more accustomed to having a little beer and some patatas bravas to having big uh, chips with uh, uh, fried fish and fried sausage on top. So for a one-off, <laughs> I'd go with that. If I had to do it every day, maybe a small little plate of uh, patatas bravas. But you saying that, you're touching on like the pre-match experiences, which are kind of different as well, what we, what we experience. Very, yeah. I mean, very different. And the thing is, right, we're in a very privileged situation. We get to watch as many games almost as you like, yeah. go in person to, st to the stadiums. And the problem is we're in danger at times of taking it for granted a little bit. Yeah. Like the other week, we gave you grief because you did not go to the Madrid yeah. derby, right? Because yeah, you yeah, decided yeah. I, I'm a little bit cold. I've got all a bit right. of a sore right. throat. All right. All right. I'm going to stay home. All right. All right? right. But no, I get what you're saying yeah. because I've been in situations like that before. So I worked for Real Madrid TV for nine years. And, you know, for the majority of those, I would go to every single home game at the Name Bernabeu. again. No, but, you know, just, yeah, you know. <laughs> I went to the bed about loads, guys. <laughs> but every single time I went there, I made sure to remember in the back of my mind, even if, it, if I was tired, if it was a midweek cup game against lower league opposition and I couldn't really be bothered to go, I made myself remember there are people all over the world who would love to come to this game, who can't come to this game, and you can go. So you go there and you appreciate that. And listen, you know, t today we're here at Manchester United, we're here at Old Trafford, and it's been an incredible experience for me because I was born and raised in, in the UK. I lived in London for 28 years and I've never been 
to Old Trafford. So for me to come here and to think of all the games, all the games I've watched over my life on TV in this stadium, think of all the extraordinary things that have happened in this stadium that I've witnessed. And I do not forget Pedro Mendes for Spurs in 2004 had a goal from the halfway line, which should have gone over, should have been, it should have been counted and it wasn't counted. I've not forgotten that. But that's one of the things that I remember about this stadium. And I've never been here. So to come here and to experience a game here was pretty special. But I don't know what I was thinking. And you're talking about whether it lives up to expectation. I'm here and I'm watching this game and we're in this incredible stadium and there were 73,000 here today. There were lo it's massive. It's, it's, it's a theatre, it really is. And you look around and there's memories and get, you get reminded of what a massive club this is. There's banners all around. We're sitting here in the stands and you can see uh, a banner saying the impossible dream made possible. Uh, we've won it all. The, it's glory and honour, the great man said. There's nothing on earth like being a red and pictures of all the titles that they've won reminding you of what an enormous club this is, this was, but it does feel like there is an element of faded glory here because at the moment we're talking about a team that's eighth in the Premier League that were absolutely outclassed today. So I'm not saying it's bittersweet me coming here for, for, for this, but in my mind, when I was growing up and living in England, Manchester United were the biggest team in England and basically the world for me, you know, watching them they beat everyone, they steamrolled everyone, they were unbeatable. You come to Old Trafford and there's, there's almost no way you're going to win. And to come here for me today and to witness them getting absolutely played off the park, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting experience. So yeah, so that was me coming here to Old Trafford and I'd never been here. You'd never been to an El Clasico in Barcelona. And this was a different El Clasico, wasn't it? Because it was the first one that's ever been played at the Olympic Stadium Montjuic. So how did you find that experience? Um, I love going abroad to watch a game. I love that experience because <laughs> it's different. That's that whole thing yeah. of getting used to seeing the other, a Premier League yeah. game, watching another game, another another league. So you get the different experiences. Like I think what what struck me and always does every time I go on the continent to watch a football game is that hostility mm -hmm. amongst the fans, the the ultras, and you can't go too close to them. You can't film them. You can't do any of that. You can only do it from a distance. But it's only a small group, isn't it? It's only the ultras because then in the stadium, there's like fans mm. almost sitting next to each other. There are, yeah. yeah. So it's very, it's, it's kind of like, there's two contrasting yeah. situations. One outside, yeah. the lead up to the game. And then once you go inside, it's, it's the football match and it's the booing, whistling, the singing, constant singing and not so much that aggression. No. It's, it's like you said, yeah, it's contrasting, it's different. Montjuic, obviously, there's so much history there. Yeah. Even though it's not Camp Nou. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful stadium, stadium as well, like it's, aesthetically, it's, it's beautiful. It's up on a hill. Yeah. It's overlooking Barcelona. <laughs> it's, it's a nice stadium. The weather was fantastic. A little bit chilly on the top, mm -hmm. as we were right at the top and a little bit, bit chilly. Yeah. But I thought it was still a great view. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed the experience. I, I really did. I mean, in the end, it was dramatic as well. Yeah. I mean, the way that Barcelona turned, uh, sorry, Real Madrid turned it around, Jude Bellingham being the, the hero again, once again, um, made it, I think, a special occasion for me and that experience um, in, in, in Barcelona. I have to say it was better than the game that I went to my first El Clasico in Madrid last season. At the Bernabeu, yeah. At the Bernabeu. It was a better experience, yeah. this one in Barcelona. Yeah. I think maybe maybe the game had I think the game had a lot to do with it. Yeah. But also our experience. Yeah. The lead up. Yeah. You know, walking through the city, going to a bar, trying, you know, trying the patatas bravas, trying the, the beer, which you know, I don't drink beer, of course. <laughs> very often. Yeah. Um, you did really well for someone who doesn't drink thank beer. You, very you did much. really yeah, well. No, I, I struggled. It was yeah. it was a real struggle. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was a, a really cool experience, really enjoyed it. And um, 
coming back here as well, you know, coming yeah. back to Old Trafford, I love playing here. Absolutely love playing here as a, as a footballer, but obviously never get, not, never got a chance to play in a derby match. No. So having been to derby matches before, I've been here before to watch them play City. I've been to the City ground to watch Man United play. There is something extra special about it as well, and I really enjoy it. So, so yeah, it was a great experience for me. Um, the two, two games in two days, I'd do it again. Okay, when? when are we doing it again? We have to make sure we do it again. <laughs> and look, I, I mean, there's plenty of derbies to do and it doesn't necessarily have to be the same derbies. We can do different derbies. There's the Seville derby, there's the, the Basque derby, which, yeah. I mean, that would be quite special as well. There's a North London derby as well. That, a, you know, there is, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chelsea against... Um, uh, oh, no, no, sorry, that's a different on, one. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, of course, it was a real challenge, wasn't it, to actually get both games in 24 hours, purely because yeah. of the location. Like being in Barcelona and the time it kicked off and then trying to get on a, on, a, on a plane, train, to somewhere to get back yeah. to Manchester in time for this derby. Shall, shall we let the listeners into a little secret? This almost didn't happen because I was speaking to a producer, Elliot, and I said, you know, are we going to do this? And he said, oh, I'm not sure we can do it because the flights from Barcelona don't get us into Manchester on time for us to get to Old Trafford with, with good enough time. And I, and I suggested, well, there is a fast train from Barcelona to Madrid. We could get that on Saturday night and then maybe there are more options from Madrid to Barcelona in terms of flights, and there were. So we came back, didn't we? We got a fast train back from Barcelona to Madrid. We stayed in Madrid on Saturday night. We were up very early on Sunday morning to get a flight to, uh, to Manchester, but it, it was all pretty smoothly, and there were quite a few steps along the way where things could have gone wrong. Um, but so far, touch wood, I've got to get back to Spain. But, you know, touch wood, uh, nothing's gone wrong at the moment in terms of the journey. I've still got a train to catch back to London tonight. So yeah. I'm pretty confident that should go all Fingers quite, crossed. quite smoothly yeah. to plan. So it was, a, it was a journey, but it was well worth doing. Uh, what we will do at the end of this podcast, let all the listeners know which one the both of us prefer. Yes. Which game out of the two, which experience out of the two. And of course, you can catch everything we've been up to on the Optus Sport app from Monday night. In terms of the actual football, let's start here at the Manchester derby. Um, you know, I think if you, if you talk about uh, form, the result matches the form, right? Yeah. Manchester City are in a far, far better place than, than Manchester United, and certainly have been for a number of years now. Um, but derby matches are derby matches, and Manchester United won their last derby match here at home against Manchester City. So you, there's always an element of mm, maybe, maybe not. And I, I, so, uh, you, you talk about the way that the game unfolded, City dominated. The penalty was the big discussion point, right? Yeah, um, I felt, you know, City would probably have won this game even if they hadn't have gotten that penalty because they were so superior to, to Manchester United. United actually started not too bad. They had a couple of chances in the opening 10 minutes, take one of those and maybe the game takes on a, a different complexion. But City looked really comfortable here. They didn't look like they've come to their maximum biggest rival, biggest enemy's home uh, and could be, you know, intimidated by the notion of it being a derby. Absolutely not. Totally, totally comfortable really dominant and they're a terrific team to watch live obviously you know people are watching them on on, on up to sport week in week out and, and enjoying them on the tv if you get a chance to see them live you have to try and take it because you really appreciate everything that they do the, the movement the way they interchange positions when they're in possession is is just extraordinary we were, we were marveling at it then there were individual performances that we can go on and, and talk about you know but i just loved watching jack Grealish today i thought he was really extraordinary so controlled, so poised, so skillful, so confident. Even if you kind of know what he's going to do almost every time, he's on the left, he's going to cut in on the right. We know it, the defenders probably know it, the fans know it, and yet he still manages to do it so effectively. So for me, he stood out um, 
as being someone that I really enjoyed watching, but there were you know, numerous performances from Manchester City. But we can talk about individuals, but in terms of just a unit, this is a unit. This Manchester City side is such a slick unit that it's, um, it's really nice to watch unless you're a Manchester United fan. Well organised, well drilled, played to a system. There just seems to be a free-flowing yeah. kind of sort of aspect to their game. And then you've got the individual brilliance. Like you said, Grealish, mostly on the left-hand side, Phil Foden on the right-hand side. Um, you know, and I, and I think Bernardo Silva as well. Just there's so much class and quality in this side. And then let's not forget Rodri. Rodri midfield. I just want to throw in there. <laughs> we talked about it uh, during the game. Yeah. Played at the World Cup a centre-half for Spain. Yes. What is going on there? Yeah, I think Luis, Luis Enrique made a bit of a mistake there. I mean, listen, if you want a ball-playing centre-half, mm. there's not going to be many better ball-playing centre-halves than him. But, but he's not a centre-half. You no. lose him in the middle of the park and, and everything that he can bring and the attacking threat that he can bring as well. We've seen him score really important goals uh, for Manchester City. And he's not going to do that if he's playing at centre-half. So, yeah, that was, a, that was a, a mistake. I don't think we're ever going to see that again because uh, he's established himself now. He's the best Spanish player in the world at the moment. And I think there's too many arguments about that rated really 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 highly in Spain and again City notice when he's not in the team because they lost when he wasn't in the team and now he's back and they look I wouldn't say a completely different prospect but they look much more assured when he's there. Haaland seeing him in the flesh seeing him yeah. in this unit what, what were your thoughts on him? Yeah I mean I've seen him before uh, up close and personal but maybe actually not this close I think we're, we're pretty close to the pitch here uh, at Old Trafford in our uh, press position and uh, He's, he is really, really intimidating uh, from a physical standpoint. And it's not that he does a huge amount in the game, but he is just so effective when he has those chances. That said, probably should have scored. He had a, he had a chance there, a hat-trick, and Anana did, did really well to, um, uh, to deny him. But when you've got, when you've got Haaland in this, in this well-drilled unit, and it, the talent of the players playing behind him, feeding him, looking for him... Um, the, uh, the second goal that he scores is just absolutely brilliant. The team move, it starts from Edison kicking the ball out and it ends with Haaland uh, heading in at the back post. But the build-up between that is just extraordinary. So if you've got players capable of building that kind of move and someone like Haaland to finish it off, you've got the world's best team, which is what Manchester City are, I think, right now. And what he's not, he's not overly selfish. No. Because he could have scored a hat-trick with a third. Like, the third goal was an opportunity for him to hit it first time. Takes a touch lays it square to Phil Foden. Yeah. I mean, isn't that indicative? I mean, obviously, you've played in loads of teams. Isn't that indicative when someone who is supposed to be desperate for goals is teeing up other teammates to score? That just shows that the, uh, you know, the team spirit, the good vibes in between the, in the, uh, in the squad as well. That's, that's just another positive aspect. So we have to talk about the one moment in the game that possibly changed the game. I mean, we know Manchester City dominated that first half with the penalty decision. I thought it was definitely a penalty. Um, that, that happens anywhere on the pitch, that yeah. is a foul. So why are you saying it's not a foul in the box? No, no, I am saying, I think it is a foul in the box. What I'm saying is there doesn't seem to be much consistency. So we've seen other fouls like that not given this season. We saw a very similar foul in the second half like that not given on, uh, on, uh, on Haaland. So there's no consistency. So if you give that, you have to give the one in the second half, you have to give them, you know, all season. So... I think it is a foul, but I also say that a lot of those fouls aren't given as penalties. But it's like anything, right? Any decision that's made, certainly one that is maybe seen as perceived to be a little bit soft, is yeah. that the fact is that they don't, they don't, they're not consistent enough on those decisions, right? Yeah. Because each week there's a different view on it. Yeah. And, and for me, that's a penalty, no matter what. I agree. And I also think 
The one in the second half should be a penalty. I mean, if we're talking about, you know, just to take it to VAR as well, that's a completely subjective thing as well. VAR has come in to say, no, have a look at this and decide whether or not it is a penalty. And we're not going to go off into a discussion about VAR, but it's not a clear and obvious error, is it? It's a subjective thing. You might think it's a penalty. Someone else might think it's not enough for a penalty. So again, it's pretty subjective. Absolutely. And the thing we don't hear is we don't hear that discussion between the referee mm -hmm. and the VAR officials. And that's part of the problem, right? I think if we hear that on the match, I would think the referee would go, I can't, I don't know, I didn't see it, can you let me know what you thought? Yeah. And then later on, he goes, go to the monitor, I think you yeah. need to look at this and decide, because I think it's a penalty. Yeah. You know, in Manchester United, there's a lot of frustrated fans out there, uh, in Australia, around the world, about Manchester United, in this stadium. In this stadium, yeah. I mean, it's, they've spent a lot, a lot of money over the years, um, and, 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 I, and I think, I said it again during the game as well. Yeah, what did you say to me about their starting level? Very expensive. <laughs> average team yeah um and, and, I, and maybe that's harsh right maybe that's a little bit harsh well they're definitely average. expensive they're very definitely expensive, expensive. Yeah. maybe I'm, I'm being harsh with being average but when we're talking about where manchester united are expected to be where people expect them fans expect them to be they're nowhere near that i don't think i mean i mean maybe it's a really harsh criticism because manchester city are the best team in the world in my opinion and you're comparing the very very best with Man United, right? So they're I, not near it. I just caught some of the uh, post-match analysis on Man United TV, which um, was playing in the press room here, which obviously was, wasn't particularly positive. But one thing that they said is that Manchester United shouldn't be losing 3-0 at home to anyone. To anyone. doesn't matter if it's Manchester City. The thing is, coming into this game, there was, there was almost no way I couldn't see United being comprehensively beaten. It's just the mindset of these mentality monsters of this huge Manchester United juggernaut that's gone that's got their eighth in the premier league we're talking about a team that's eighth in the premier league that is desperately struggling to get out of a relatively average champions league group this is they're so far away from being elite elite and that's why i mentioned at the top of the podcast coming here to the theater of dreams to this unbelievable stadium in my mind in my mind and i think anybody who's of a similar age uh me who you know grew up watching Manchester United, in my mind you still have the, the notion of Manchester United being this, this powerhouse, the elite, the really top of world football. They're nowhere near that. They're nowhere near the top of English football at the moment. When you go through the team right now, like Holland up front works. I like, I like what I saw from him today. He works yeah. incredibly hard. Yeah. Right? We can talk about Ten Hag taking him off, which I thought was crazy. I don't understand why he took him off. No, neither of us It did. makes no, no sense whatsoever. Um, and the fans didn't either. They booed. They booed that decision. Completely uh, on, on the wrong side of that one, I think. Um, and then bringing on Martial and... Uh, um, Anthony. Anthony, right, right at the end of the game. <laughs> the game's done with. They're down 3-0. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever either. So there's so many players in this squad that are actually underperforming. Mason Mount came with, a, obviously, a pretty big price tag, high expectations, has not reached it. Ericsson has kind of dipped in and out of it. Amrabat doesn't look, he just looks a shadow of himself that, of that player that played at the World Cup for Morocco. Um, and, and you look at Anana. Anana, obviously, huge price tag for a goalkeeper, replacing De Gea. Supposedly, the, 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 the saviour in terms of goal, the, 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 in, in terms of goalkeeper, the position that needed to be changed, wanted a goalkeeper that could play football. Yeah. And if anything, he's been so up and down. The thing is, if you want a goalkeeper that can play football, you also need defenders that want the ball and want to play out from the back. So it's all very good bringing in Onana, who in theory can play out from the back. <laughs> you need to have players in front of him that can play out from the back as well. And you look at that back four today. Who wanted the ball? They, they didn't want the ball. They, no. they, they, you know, you, we talk about Onana and the mistakes that he made fine, but it's, it's, it's not just on him. 
Uh, no, 100%, I agree with you. And that, that's where I feel for him as well, because his biggest strengths is, is, is some of the kind of like uh, one of his worst traits at the moment, mm. because he's not finding the man. I mean, how many times in that first half yeah. did he not find a player? Yeah. And, and a lot of it's to do with players running afterwards. They're being, they're being reactive rather than making runs into positions and giving another opportunity to play the ball. And maybe it's made worse by looking at Edison at the other end of the pitch and seeing, well, you know, and the way that what... City is set up, right? Yeah. So City are so well organised, so well positioned, but wide players are out wide. They're coming deep, coming short for the ball. There are other players to lay it off to. So there's a, there's a lot of options for them all the time. They want the ball all over the pitch, whereas United are completely the opposite. Anana was the best player today, I thought. Um, made some brilliant saves. Yeah, for United. I mean, listen, I don't think anybody stood out, but he, he made some... He made some decent saves. Like I said, I quite like what I saw of Hoyland as well. Yeah. Um, he had a couple of chances. His movement was good. He was aggressive. He worked hard. But yeah, there's, a, there's an unbelievable amount of work for Ten Hag to do. And they, they still they, they don't look like they're improving. I don't know. Um, they came into this game off three, three victories. And everybody was saying, oh, you know, they've shown spirit. They've shown character. They've shown determination. And maybe that'll give them some momentum. It's three narrow victories against Brentford, Sheffield United and FC Copenhagen games that they could have lost easily. So I think that I wasn't particularly hopeful coming into this game and I'm even less hopeful for Manchester United now having been here and witnessed that. I didn't even mention Marcus Rashford or Bruno Fernandes. I mean, Marcus Rashford was anonymous. And Fernandes was all over the place and not really effective at all. And again, complaining quite a lot. Um, look, it's not great, is it? I mean, the way, if you, look at, if you look at United right now, it's not a happy time and happy place. It hasn't been for some time now. Let's move on. Let's talk about our favorite subject. What's that? Come on, guess. The food? Well, apart from that. <laughs> Beers? Ange Postacoglu. Oh, let's talk you, about Ange Postacoglu. Can't even believe you haven't told, you couldn't even remember who we're talking about. <laughs> Ange Postacoglu. I mean, let's talk about What did Spurs do this weekend, Mark, well, out of interest? Uh, can we remember? What did they do? Yeah, Friday night, they won against Crystal Palace away from home. They did. Um, is there any stopping Spurs at this stage? Um, someone asked before we went on, are, are Spurs going to lose a game all season? Are they going to go undefeated? Are they going to be the new Invincibles? Am I getting wildly <laughs> carried away? Yes, they are going to lose at some point. But you know what? They've given themselves a really good chance to get into the top four. I think if we're talking about um, a, a title push, we're getting carried away. But on this, you know, the amount of points that they picked up at this stage of the season, it's a really good base to push for top four because it is so open. And you have the likes of Manchester United and Chelsea who should uh, statistically and in terms of budget be pushing the guaranteed top four and they're way, way off. So Spurs are giving themselves a really good chance and it's down, not entirely to Angelos Postecoglou, but in large part to what he's done with the team, the players that he's brought in. And listen, we're going over old ground. We've spoken about this at length, but it continues and they continue to pick up uh, important wins. Conceded late on in injury time here to, to, to Palace and they didn't, get, they didn't get a clean sheet, which would have been, which would have been nice for, uh, for Vicario who you weren't necessarily sold on at the start of the season, Mark. I mean, I'm not going to throw it in your face because we've all said silly things. <laughs> we've all said silly things that come back to bite us. But, but it's turned into a pretty good signing, hasn't it? Look, I think he's done really well. Yeah, I really do. I think he's done really, really well. I want to see how it goes further on in sure, the season. Sure. Like, uh, I got a whole man up. Yes, so far, he's done well. Yeah. But there, there are still question marks in my head about whether or not he is the right goalkeeper for them moving forward. At the moment, yes. It's all positive, all working fine for him. I'm not quite sure just yet, but he has had a good start to the season. If anyone hasn't seen it, you've got to watch Son's goal. Yes. It's a fantastic team goal. And that's the thing about Spurs, right? We, we, we rave every week on about Antipostokoglu, right? He's the manager. He's got them playing a certain way, but it's the players that are going out there and playing that way. Madison, 
Son in particular, Son's rediscovered his form. Amban probably has a big part to play with that as well. Yeah, quite possibly. Quite possibly. Listen, fitness has a big part to play with it because you know he wasn't fit for a large part of last season, and now we're seeing him fit, happy, with responsibility up to it as well, and and scoring week in week out. So, yeah, long may it continue. Let's talk about our Clasico. Yeah, the game itself, Barcelona at home against Real Madrid. Um, good first half performance from Barcelona, wasn't it? I mean, it is a wild cliche for me to say that it was a game of two halves, but it really was a game of two halves. Barcelona in the first half were really, really dominant without creating an abundance of chances, but they scored early on through, through Gundogan. They hit the post as well through Fermin Lopez, who was absolutely brilliant, by the way, the 20-year-old starting his, his first ever Clasico in the heart of midfield. He was fantastic. Gavi was brilliant as well. Really, really youthful uh, midfield for uh, Barcelona. And they dominated Real Madrid. It was a poor, poor performance from Real Madrid, which only started getting better, I think, in the, in the second half with the changes. Um, the changes that Barcelona made didn't necessarily work. On came Rafinha, on came Lewandowski, who didn't, both of them didn't look like they were at full fitness. They were in the match day squad. And then Oriol Romeo came on, who, who you know, didn't have the legs. Um, played some misplaced passes. Those those changes didn't work for, 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 for Real Madrid. On came Eduardo Camavinga at left-back, who, OK, leaves some spaces and defensively has some work to do. But in terms of bringing the ball out and having more energy going forward, really, really worked. Is he a waste at left-back, though? Surely he's a waste, because like, I, I think, think he's a phenomenal player. I think there are certain contexts in matches where he can be useful, and I think him bursting forward uh, from, from left-back and, and being able to deliver passes that Ferland Mendy cannot do um, is actually very useful. He came on and Luka Modric came on as well. And I think Luka Modric, um, you know, we were, we were wondering, can he still do it? He's 38. He's not in the uh, starting 11 for the Clasico for the big games. But he can also be very, very useful for this team coming on when you need to get hold of the ball. And Real Madrid needed to get hold of the ball. And Modric is good at that. He says, if the game's tough, all right, give the ball to me. Give the ball to me, I'll move it about. And, and they started doing that. And Jude Bellingham, he, he didn't have a good game. No. He did not have a good game apart from the unbelievable goal from well, distance. Well, you said before that happened, you said, oh my God, I can see the headlines now yeah. about Jude Bellingham not turning up yes. in the big games. Because in the other big domestic game that Real Madrid had had this season, the, Athletic, uh, the uh, derby against Atletico Madrid, he hadn't, not only had he not scored, which is strange for him because he normally scores in every game, but he really hadn't been particularly participative at all. And it was the same in this. He, he didn't seem to be um, involved in the game at all. And then he scores this unbelievable goal from 25 yards and then he pops up and scores the winner from close range in, the, in injury time. And my question is, can you say someone had a bad game if they scored two goals? Oh, you know, we had that very conversation, <laughs> didn't we? We're, like, I'm torn with it because I'm like, what is his job in the team, right? And Jude Bellingham has become that player. <laughs> his that, job in the team at the moment is to save Real Madrid. And score goals, right? <laughs> and you, you save it however you can, right? You save the team however you can and by popping up and scoring two goals. I think it's impossible to say he had a bad game. It's like it's like uh, Haaland today. Mm -hmm. Was Haaland outstanding? Mm, scored two goals and set up the third. Yeah. So how am I going to say he's not outstanding because he's a phenomenal player? And I think that's the di that's the, the difficulty of it. Um, I want to go back to Luka Modric because when he yeah. came on, it was just like honestly, it's like poetry in motion. It is watching him play, watching him take up space, watching him even even making those movements, those little finding those little pockets. He's sensational still. Okay, yes, he hasn't got that pace and, and the ability anymore to get you know up and down the pitch, 
But he's so clever. He's so good on the ball, isn't he? He is, which is why I say, in those kind of contexts, you know, we need him for the last 20 minutes, half an hour, even for a second half. To have someone like that with the experience and with the, with the calmness as well, as well as the obvious intelligence and, and, and massive talent and, you know, everything we know about Luka Modric, in those kind of big moments, in really big games, he is still a big player. He is still a big game player, Luka Modric. So, uh, and Tony Cross as well, who obviously started the game. And we often put Tony Cross and Luka Modric in the same bracket, and they're not. For a start, as Cross is five years younger, and he's, I think he's still got a lot more in the tank uh, than, uh, than Luka Modric. But yeah, um, Ancelotti made the right substitutions. Obviously, he brought on Joselu as well, who had, had a really, really good chance to score. Had a big chance, didn't he? Had you? a really big chance. Um, and Ancelotti made the right made the right substitutions, and Xavi, I think he definitely got things wrong. And after the game, Xavi was saying, "We deserve to win. We deserve to win. We deserve to win." And there was no sort of criticism or, or, or suggestions that he'd got it wrong or that the team slacked off a little bit. And I think there was a definite physical drop off from Barcelona. And why? Well, they've had five big big players out, which means that a lot of squad players have had to accumulate a lot of minutes and a lot of the same players have been playing week in, week out uh, over these last few weeks. And, and they look tired going into the last, you know, 10 minutes or so. But Lewandowski came on, right? So he came on, Yeah. was zero effectiveness. I mean, yeah, zero effectiveness. His, his touch wasn't there. Um, he, he posed very little threat as well. I mean, it's, I think it's, you know, necessary for us to say that Barcelona in this game, they were missing from the starting 11, Lewandowski, Rafinha, De Jong, Pedri and Jules Koundé, five players who would all have started. I think if they'd been fully fit, they would all have started. So that's five out of 11. That's a, that's a big chunk of your starting That's 11. what makes that first 45 minutes more impressive, yes, right? Yes, and, and, and there was, at that stage at halftime, you thought, ah, Remedy would have to do something. Yes. Because they're not they're, they're out of this game completely. Yes. And it's, it's Barcelona to go on and win this game. And totally. win this game comfortably. Yeah. Um, but you've got to kill off Real Madrid. And yeah. we've seen it time and time again. It doesn't matter what competition you're in. It doesn't matter what the game is. You have to kill off Real Madrid. You have to make sure they're dead. Otherwise, they will come back and they will get back into the game. It, it almost always happens. And I think Barcelona knew that. And as soon as the equaliser went in, they were nervous and they were scared. And it was almost, almost inevitable. That was a naivety and an inexperience yes. in the team, right? Yeah. Too many younger players. And that's what Gundogan got onto after the game, Oof. right? That was a bit of a surprise for you. Certainly was for me. Whenever a player does that, mm, absolutely great. I mean, we heard it on Opta Sports La Liga live coverage after the game. Ilkay Gundogan coming out, and the and the, the the reporter asked him, "What's the mood like in the dressing room?" And he says, "I'm surprised that people didn't seem as disappointed as they should be." And he's pointing fingers and he's saying, "I didn't come here to lose games like that." We're talking about an elite player who's come here. He was the captain of the Champions League winning side. And he comes to Barcelona and he's coming out and saying, I'm, I'm not here to lose these kind of games. We do not let these kind of games get away from us. When we've been so dominant in the first half, we have to finish them off. There is no way that Real Madrid should have been able to get back into this game. That's what Gundogan is saying. And actually that interview that, that was on Optus has sort of gone viral on the on, uh, on, on X and, and social media because people can't quite believe he was so open in seemingly criticising the dressing room. But I don't think that's a bad thing, having someone with that kind of winning mentality, someone who's, you know, uh, prepared to say, this is not how we do things. If we want to win, this is not how we have to do things. Well, look, I, I think for a player of his experience, yeah. his position in the team, I thought he played really well in that first 45 minutes, scored the goal. Yeah. Um, 
I think as, as a player in that side, I'd be going, yeah, I'd be backing him. I mean, if I was the goalkeeper of that team, if I were Ter Stegen, I'd be going, absolutely. Yeah. You know, that is exactly how I'm feeling. He, and there's no doubt probably Ter Stegen's in the goal, in, in, the, in the dressing room as captain, probably saying the same thing, right? Question about Ter Stegen in that Bellingham goal. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised it went in. You know, yeah. we saw it on the replay. We're obviously in the stadium, it's really In the hard. stadium, it was unbelievable. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And then watching on the replay, you kind of think, hey, his quality, I expected possibly maybe a little bit different. I thought maybe, I mean, maybe I'm being harsh, right? <laughs> um, he's a top-class goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, Jude Bellingham, you asked me after the game if I thought he was world-class. Do you think he's world-class? Jude Bellingham is right now potentially the, the, best, player. the best player in the world. Not I mean, even world-class, sorry. He is yeah, world-class. Is he the best player in the world right now? I mean, you know, there's a there's a former Spurs striker in Germany who's doing pretty well, isn't he? You know, we don't we don't need to go in depth about him, but you know, he's uh, he's doing quite well. But I think Jude Bellingham, I think you know, listen, Harry Kane going to Bayern Munich and scoring lots of goals is not necessarily a big surprise, right? We yeah. kind of expected him to score goals in a very dominant Bayern Munich side. We didn't expect this from Jude Bellingham. He scored 13 goals in 13 games for in his first 13 games for for Real Madrid. These are historical, unthinkable numbers. For a midfielder, we're not talking about a striker. He is not leading the line for Real Madrid. He's coming from the second line and scoring these goals. And you look at the goals that he scored. He's scored a late winner against Getafe, late winner against Celta Vigo, late winner against Union Berlin, another late winner against Barcelona in El Clasico. He's been extraordinarily important in such a small space of time. So, listen, it's very difficult to compare all different players from across the world and need to come out and say the headline, Jude Bellingham is the best player in the world at the moment. But if you're compiling a list of players who are the most impressive at this moment in time, Jude Bellingham is, is right up there. And I think it's very difficult to argue that he's, he's not elite, he's not world-class, and he's not gonna go on and dominate La Liga and international football for, for many, many years to come. Do you know how old he is, Mark? You know 20 years old. Yeah, absolutely yeah. insane, isn't it? I mean, the thing is, he's had, has he had the best start of any new signing at Real Madrid or one of the best starts ever? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is, I think it's important for us to also just underline just how difficult it is to come to Real Madrid. This is the most demanding fan base in the world. And we're sitting here in Old Trafford, which is, you know, 75,000. And this is a difficult place to play, I'm sure. It is not like the Bernabeu. The Bernabeu is a huge, huge pressure cooker. And not just on the pitch, off the pitch, the media, the scrutiny, everything. So to move to that um, spotlight at the age of 20, different language, different country, different division, and to just fit in like he's fitted in on the pitch and off the pitch, it's historic. What we witnessed, and we witnessed him scoring two goals in the Classico in his first ever Classico. That's history, Mark. We witnessed that. It was extraordinary. Absolutely. I, I, you know, look, my favourite thing about watching Spanish football, certainly in the Benabar, which I've been a few times to yeah. watch football, is when the white, white handkerchiefs come out. <laughs> yeah. I think it's absolutely amazing. I, I think it's brilliant. I think it's actually, yeah. I mean, I would hate to be in the pitch <laughs> when that's happening, that. yeah. but as a, as, a, as a fan, as someone watching it from the stands, yeah. it's pretty remarkable and surreal when you're in the stadium when that happens. It's, it's, it's brutal in yes. the most sort of non-brutal fashion. You know, waving around a white hanky to show your displeasure sounds, uh, doesn't sound particularly aggressive, but no. it's maybe the most passive-aggressive thing you can do. It's phenomenal, <laughs> is it? Does this make Real Madrid now favourites to win La Liga? It does at this early stage, yes. I mean, I backed them pre-season and they, 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 they've come through and beaten beaten Barcelona, but there's another unexpected Catalan uh, charge for the title. Listeners, 
I hope you did your homework this week because we didn't do our homework. We, we couldn't watch Girona on, uh, on Friday night, but they scored in injury time to beat Celta Vigo 1-0. They're, they're level on points with Real Madrid at the top of the table. Um, and it's, um, it's unbelievable what they're doing. We've mentioned them before. We'll mention them again this season. It's, um, it's really quite extraordinary. So uh, always watch Girona. It was only 1-0. It was only 1-0 against Celta Vigo, uh, but still. It was an extraordinary result, and they uh, they go from strength to strength. What was quite remarkable today that I witnessed from you was that I've never seen you so excited when a team scores in the 91st minute to equalise 2-2 <laughs> and get a result. Uh, who, who, who are you talking about? So, I'm, I may or may not have celebrated in the press box at Old Trafford when Bebe scored an injury time equaliser for Rayo Vallecano against uh, Real Sociedad. Real Sociedad, a really good team. Really, really good team. We've seen it in the Champions League. We've seen it in La Liga. And... Little Raya Vallecano managed to get a, a point against them, so I was, I was very, very pleased. Even though I didn't see the game, I saw the goal going, and uh, I, uh, I might have uh, cheered quite loudly in the press box here. And of course, just in case any of our listeners don't really know, you are a, a avid Raya Vallecano fan, right? Season ticket holder. I was a little bit disappointed, Mark, to have missed the game today, but you know, I guess being here at Old Trafford with you kind of made up for it. Okay, I think it did make it up for it, definitely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, okay, let's, let's get to it. What, which one was your best experience? Which one was your favourite experience of the two games? All right, yeah, I've been thinking about this quite a lot, actually. And listen, El Clasico, what, did you, what do you have with El Clasico? You have the history, you have the tradition, and what you also have is the socio-political element, which you don't necessarily get in a derby like the Manchester derby. You, we saw during the game uh, Catalan flags, a chance for Catalan independence. It is very much Catalonia against Madrid. Uh, Bobby Robson said... Um, Catalonia is a nation and Barcelona is its army. Uh, this is a fixture and a game with so much history and so much texture to it that it's not just about the football. And you see that when you go there. You, you, you get that sense. I mean, there was a, a small pocket of, of Real Madrid fans, but they were there with their Spanish flags, very pointedly bringing the Spanish flags into a, a Catalan stadium. So there's that element. We saw a TIFO before the game. Uh, we saw flares outside. It was more colourful. It was more, more textured, I would say. There's more going on off the pitch than, than the Manchester derby. But we come here and it's more visceral. It's more intense. You're plunged right into the, 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 the scenario here in the, uh, in the stadium. And it helps that there were thousands of away fans. And that is something that we do not have that much in Spanish football, and particularly in El Clasico, for reasons that I'm not necessarily sure. But there are never that many away fans at all in El Clasico. Here, we were right next to the City fans. And having these City fans here adds to the, uh, adds to the occasion, not just because they make noise, but what they're doing as well. So they're winding up the Manchester United fans. And you very much sensed they were laughing at them. They were laughing at them. And that adds to the occasion of we're witnessing a spectacle here on the stands as well as on the pitch. So listen, El Clasico has the history, the tradition and the colour. Uh, but like I said, the Manchester derby has the has the intensity. And fortunately, it started to rain as well, Mark. And I thought, you know, we came to Manchester and it was sunny when we arrived. And I thought, this is, this is, I don't want this. I want gloom, I want rain. And we finally got that as well to get the full Manchester experience. So listen, I, I don't know if I can pick one, but it was certainly, it was intense being here. And I, and I like intensity, Mark. Yeah, it's a really hard one, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I've been thinking about it as well. And listening to what you're saying, your arguments putting forward to, for both of them. And I, and I have to completely agree with all of them. And, and, and again, I'll go back to the fact that going abroad and watching a football match is a unique experience. And, and 
one that you know it's different to your norm yes. so for me it was a different to my norm you coming here was yeah. a different to your norm so you are i think you're more sensitive to all the different aspects elements of the game Absolutely. the fact that the fans are here for me that's just normal that the away <laughs> fans are there it's normal that there's banter between them and, yeah. the, and the home team um the, the contrast was when real madrid scored the winner yeah you could hear a little <laughs> bit in the distance but not, not like this yeah not much and the players were almost celebrating by themselves with a couple of hundred fans, whereas here you've got the players celebrating with thousands yeah. of Manchester City fans. Um, I, and I, and I, I do genuinely like that. I, I like the, the more of a friendlier-ish sort of atmosphere at a, at a Premier League game. I like the fact that you can go there and not really be worried about anything other than the football match. Yes, there's going to be banter, there's going to be possibly a little bit of aggression sometimes, but not the same level as when you go to uh, when you go to Spain and certainly to a to a El Clasico. I think listeners will be interested to hear that actually because my my impression has always been that you know English football has has always had a more aggressive element to it. It used to, it used to, but it doesn't anymore. There, there is a there's a, a there's certainly a, a a real passion, of course. Yeah. And and that comes out with the songs. It comes out with you know you often see we saw it in front of us a fan getting up on his own <laughs> and giving the, the the thousands of Manchester yeah. City fans a bit of abuse. Yeah. Um, you, know, you get that, of course, and it does sometimes kick off quite close to the, the two rival fans. But these days, the cameras, people don't really want to get kicked out. They don't want yeah. to lose their season tickets. It's a little bit different, I think. And outside, we didn't feel any sort of uh, aggression or threat, whereas when we were outside the, the stadium in, in Barcelona, we were next to the, the quite sort of violent and aggressive ultras who were also surrounded by police yep. with big machine guns. Yes. And, it, and people saying, don't film, you're not allowed to film, sort of aggressively stopping people from filming them. It, it does add a sort of element of tension. Yeah, you're right. It does. And, but again, like you said, it's, it's Barcelona and Real Madrid. Mm. You know, it's more than of, football. Yeah, it's, it's the political aspect. Yeah. It's the history of it. It's that general, general or genuine hatred <laughs> between the two. Yeah. And that is very, very obvious. Yeah. That's obvious the whole day. Yeah. We saw it, we went out of our hotel room, you know, three, four hours before kickoff. Yeah. A, Mad a Madrid fan walked past and there were Barcelona fans and they threw, they threw beer at them. Those were Barcelona ultras, not your average Barcelona fans. They were the sort of the violent ultras who were sort of getting together, having some beers and yet yeah, somebody walked past and they threw a, a can at him. Yeah, and I'm not saying that doesn't happen because I, I've had it happen yeah. to me personally yeah. when I was playing for Middlesbrough at Everton. Yeah. We won the game, walked out of the stadium, walked home and I was going to the car with my family and I had beer thrown at me. Actually, a, 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 a a pint of, of beer in a glass <laughs> wow. across the road. I was across the road, it didn't come anywhere near me, but that yeah, has it happened. Does, it does happen. I'm yeah. not saying it doesn't happen. There's just a general feeling of more hostility, and maybe because I'm not used to it. And we're just talking about our experience as well. So we're just um, telling the listeners what we experienced in our, in our magical 24 hours. But I, what I would say, I can't pick. I'm going to sit on the fence because okay. I think they're both equally dramatic. They're equally exciting. They're equally an amazing experience. And I think I would say to any listener, you have to go and watch both of them. Because if you get a chance, go and watch both of them. I think they're both yeah. amazing. Do your best. Unfortunately, Phil, that's it. That's the end of our journey. That's the end of our, our uh, venture to go and watch our Clasico, the Manchester Derby. I've got to head off to London. I've got to catch a train tonight. You're going back to Madrid tomorrow morning. Yep. Um, been absolutely a pleasure. It's been, a, it. it's been emotional, Mark. Has it? Yeah. That's nice to hear. So remember, you can watch every game of the Premier League and the Liga live on Optusport. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.